Welcome to the DE Talk podcast. Tune in for dialogue between HR experts to amp up your HR strategies. Don't worry, we'll mix in a few laughs as we know you need it. This is Candy Chambers, and you're listening to another episode of the DE Talk podcast. At Direct Employers, we talk a lot about hiring service members injured during combat and providing accommodations to those talented individuals. Today's podcast touches on a topic that we don't discuss nearly enough, military caregivers, the unsung heroes of our nation's wounded service members. We are fortunate to have Stephanie Howard, the executive producer, director, and writer of the documentary film The Weight of Honor, join us today. I don't want to give too much away, but The Weight of Honor is the first comprehensive documentary to chronicle the lives of the caregivers and families of veterans severely injured in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. This documentary really pulled at my heartstrings when I first saw it, and I have to say it painted such a vivid picture of the challenges these caregivers face and how their lives have changed. I could go on and on, but first let me welcome you to our podcast, Stephanie. Thank you, Candy. I'm really delighted to be here. Well, we are very excited to have you join us as well. I've, I've enjoyed our conversations every time we've spoken, so we'll give everyone else a chance to get Thank to you. know know you as well. So let's get All started. Right. Thank you. You've had a 25-year career in broadcast journalism. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how that led you to documentary filmmaking? You know, I was thinking about it, and I have never wanted to be anything else. I've always wanted to be a journalist. And I have a degree in broadcast journalism and I uh, had internships, you know, with some very well-known networks some really great places. I've had jobs in markets big and small. And really what brought me to documentaries is something that I knew early on that your typical news story, if you're lucky, you're lucky <laughs> is a minute and 20 seconds. Um, usually there are 30 seconds or less. It's really hard to cover a topic in that amount of time. I frequently would ask and, and get to do multi-part series, um, hour long specials. I would get to work on those kinds of things because I felt like I could really dive into an issue, really look at different aspects of what make that an issue. So documentaries were a a transition for me. I had to get to a point where I had paid my dues enough to where I could do documentaries. And that's where that really comes from. Okay. Um, You know, it's funny, documentaries can cover so many different topics. And this one, I tell you, really, really, um, really did a number on me. (laughs) So I I can't wait to have you talk a little bit more about it. Do you have any family members um, that have a military background or do you have any military background? No, not really. My father was in the Air Force in the JAG Corps um, and was out of the service just around the time I was born. And my, I did not serve. I mean, it just, you know, I think now if I were to look back on it, I might, but uh, no, answer is probably a simple no. You know, I, I met um, a wounded veteran one time. I say wounded. He he was a uh, quadriplegic and he had um, various, um, you know, um, prosthesis. But he said he didn't like being called a wounded service member or a wounded warrior. And I said, well, what do you want to be called? And he goes, Travis. And that was his name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't really hear a lot about... Um, you know, the issues that they go through. I mean, there, there's a lot of focus placed on, on wounded service members, but we don't understand the actual difficulties that they face or the struggles that they have to overcome. So what, what drew you to creating a documentary about military caregivers and, and the journeys that they face? By the way, I think I know who you're talking about. Oh, the, <laughs> Travis Mills. What drew me, as, yeah, really, as a journalist, as a, as a filmmaker, I'm just naturally curious and I'm always looking I think I was in a place where I was really looking for my next film and I was trying to find something that struck a chord in me and I came to this because I had met a group of wounded bats who came to speak here in my hometown in California Santa Clarita 
and they spoke to um, the students at the junior high and the high school. I had a son at each one of those. And the interesting thing was they did not speak about their wounds. They did not. They spoke about what it was like to be different. That really resonated with those students. I saw it in person and I thought, wow, you know. And I thought about doing something about that, but, you know, there are and there were so many films about returning service members, especially the wounded. And I just felt like I'm not in a position to say anything new. Um, I, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. I felt like I didn't have the wherewithal in so many areas. And a friend of mine who was involved in that program to bring those vets to our town said, well, no one has done anything about their caregivers. And at first I said, well, the doctors and nurses, she goes, no, the spouses, the families. And I thought about it and started doing research. And yes, that resonated with me because as you and I have talked about what you just said, Candy, no one really knows that much about these people. Not about the families, right? And when you want, when you make a documentary, when you make a film, part of that is shining light on a subject that no one really knows about or knows very little about. So you that know, was a long answer to your very short question. <laughs> no, that was it was a very effective answer too. I think you're giving people some thoughts as to what the documentary really is about. And, and like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but um, you know, as you just said, there isn't really much discussion about um, what it's like to be a caregiver. What did you find was the most compelling about those individuals that, you know, as you put together their stories that shaped the documentary? You know, it was, I was just so impressed with their determination. Hmm. Um, their resilience, and you're going to hear me talk a lot about resilience, because we could make this as a film about, oh, these poor people, mm-hmm. but that's a negative. A positive is, yes, they're going through a lot, but look what they're, com- what they're coming up with. Look how determined they are. Look how much they love the person that, who they're trying to help, and I was so impressed by that resiliency. The other part was I was so happy, but also almost surprised that they were so outspoken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were. They were. I, you know, the part that really hit me was um, how they are, are playing the hand they're dealt, you know, and they, they didn't go into their marriages in any of the situation. Well, I think one of them did, um, but the others, um, you know, they certainly didn't expect to find themselves in this position, and and they they handled it, and it, that that speaks volumes for them. Um, so I'm I'm sure you you probably have plenty of warming stories to tell about some of these people that you worked with. But um, one statistic, you know, oh, Candy, can I just can I step in right there because you and I have talked before. If something like this happened to you or to me. <laughs> I thought about okay. that. Yep. Right. Well, haven't we all? Yep. If if my husband or anyone, if this happened to them, would I walk away? Um, if he were violent and wanted to kill me, okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but but you do, and, and I yeah. know this from being a, a caregiver as a mom, you do what has to be done. You, you don't step away. And as... Yes, yes, I respect these people so much, and and they have gone above and beyond, just like you said. But wouldn't we do the same thing? Step in there. Well, you know, my husband has several medical issues, and he had um, thoracic aneurysm surgery a couple of years ago and had a really long recovery, and I literally would go home at lunch and fix him lunch. I would fix breakfast. I would come home, cook dinner, and I... He's retired, which was fine and good, but I'd have to come home and take out the pets and, you know, and things like that. And so, uh, and, you know, I, I work a lot of hours and I changed my travel schedule, you know, I mean, and I would have my neighbors come over if I couldn't change my travel schedule. And, and you know, you do what you have to do, you know, and, and I think we, we probably just sitting here talking about it aren't really 
focusing on the love that they have for that individual. You know, especially when, as we all know, when people are in difficult physical situations, they can get pretty difficult to work with too, <laughs> you know, because they're, they're frustrated. And, and so, you know, that I think with, with the um, people that they had to take care of, the, the wounded service members, they weren't, for the most part, going to get any better. They weren't going to, um, you know, have a, a change of, of their condition. So this was uh-huh. something they were going to have to go through, you know, the rest of their of their lives, basically. So, um, right. I I think one of the goals um, has always been to get them to a point where they're as stable as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and hopefully, I think there were a couple of them that I think um, one of them that that was, and and another that I know that you have said since has has come around um, and and gotten gotten better. Um, Let's talk about one of the statistics that really hit home for me um, when I watched the documentary. Over the last 13 years, only 1% of the U.S. population served in the military. And that just kind of blew me away that that, you know, leaves a a really huge disconnect between the civilian communities and and the service members. And how did that statistic um, fuel your drive to create the documentary and, and share the caregiver stories? You know, I didn't have that exact number going in. Um, It was said in the film. We had it in our research. I think more than anything, it it explained to me why we had multiple deployments. I I could not figure that out. Why would someone go back to battle three, four, five, some six, maybe more times? Because let's face it, that increased your odds. Right, you know, of right. being injured, sometimes severely injured. And this is because, and this is the price of an all-volunteer army. I'm not going to argue it either way. But <laughs> in the film, even, we have someone who says in Vietnam, because of the draft, everybody knew someone, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knew someone. And um, being in war was much more familiar. Uh, I felt like we didn't, we were getting reports and we heard things on the news, but we didn't have that connection with, and we still really don't with in Iraq and with Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, I think it just, it's sort of surreal. And I think that's why people just, they don't have that firsthand experience with anyone who served. You know, and and I am kind of surprised at how how true that statement is. You know, there are some people that are all in with with veterans, and and here at DE, you know, we work with NASWA and we work with uh, the career one stops with all the the leavers and DVOPs, and so we're, you know, that's part of our mission is to help veterans get civilian employment. Um, but a lot of people that don't have anyone in their family you know, who has served, they, they don't really understand. And, um, that, that's, that's where I think this will be a good, um, documentary for people to see whether or not they have military family members, friends, or anything, because this opens up a whole new world, um, to some of the issues that they probably didn't even know existed. So, um, Another statistic you brought up was that there are 1.1 million family caregivers for uh, since the 9/11, um, actually post 9/11 veterans. And I'm just curious, with with people like that spread out all over the country, how did you find the participants that you know, both the wounded service members and the caregivers that were really willing to you know open up their lives and and share those intimate mo- moments and experiences with with you and with the world and and allow themselves to be filmed how'd you do that <laughs> um you know this is where the journalism background came in because a good journal part of being a good journalist is research <laughs> and uh, identifying the people who can lead you to more information so that took a lot of work uh, i probably spent a good year or so just doing research and connecting with people who I never made a cold call just so you know that Mm -hmm. um I always researched and identified 
individuals who were working with military families or new military families, either through volunteering through the VA or uh, volunteering as part of a nonprofit for caregivers, um, that kind of thing. And I used these sources um, in a way where I said, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm looking for families for caregivers who would be interested in participating. And sometimes I would hear back right away and sometimes it would take weeks or months. And of course, I kept calling them and bugging them. And because that's also part of being a good journalist. You, you don't say, okay, I'll go away. Um, and, you know, the people that we use in the film are really a fraction of who we interviewed. Uh, we, we had to find people who would agree to let us participate and who would want to be with us. And every single person we did speak to, um, no matter what, said that they, I would ask them, you know, why? And they would say, because we feel it's really, really important for the private sector, for the public to understand that we exist, mm -hmm. that we even exist. And that's the goal of the film. You know what, Stephanie? <laughs> um, I, we were talking about, you know, getting ready to do this podcast, and I made the comment to someone that these are the type of people that employers would love to hire, <laughs> these caregivers, mm -hmm. because... I mean, you know, actually once I remember the one uh, lady who had, you know, young children and she was constantly running, you know, taking care of the kids, her husband, you know, and going in 14 different directions. But, you know, once those kids get old enough to go to school and with all of the remote work that everyone's doing, I, I honestly, I think there are probably a zillion companies that would love to reach out and give her a job, a remote job working from home. You know, I mean, she could easily, you know, do something outside of the her caregiver responsibilities because these women, or, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of male caregivers, um, but I'll tell you what, those are the type of people companies want to hire. <laughs> they you know, because, stop. I mean, we always, you know, we always talk about how um, a mother is, her organizational skills, the more children she has, the more her, her, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the better her organization skills. Um, that particular woman who's in the film has children who are now preschool and school age. Um, and for a good year or so, she was working um, at a preschool okay. through her church. Okay. And so, you know, when we, we have an added layer here, with the pandemic, and you and I should probably speak again when mm -hmm. schools reopen. But the added layer is finding a job where they can work remotely, but you do find that these are people who know how to juggle a schedule. And you may need to set, if you're an employer, and you may need to set a Zoom call at a certain time, then you need to be understanding that that might be the time they have to go pick up the kids and know that this is a valuable employee who's not going to just say, oh, well, I didn't have to do that. They're going to come back after the kids go to bed, mm -hmm. and they're going to be working long hours to meet the expectations that you may have. But, you, but as an employer, I, um, it's really important to understand what their schedule is and what that means. And let me just say one other story. And I just heard about this yesterday. I called one of our caregivers because she has participated um, actually most recently on a, on a Zoom call um, that we did a big conference discussion. Uh, her name is Lindsay. And I said, well, you know, Lindsay, tell me about how you got your job. And because we're talking tomorrow about HR. And, and she said, you know what? I had to quit. Aww. She said she was in the front office. She was meeting and greeting people. She was answering phones. And in the pandemic, she can't do that. She has yeah. a husband who is um, has lost both of his legs and then some. She has two small children. And she said it just, if she could have done it at home, she would have. Yeah. So this exactly. is someone who's really bright. I think she has a master's degree. Oh, geez. In communication. I mean, this is someone who would be ideal 
she could work from home. Well, you know what, right? Stephanie? See, when, when people um, take advantage of watching this film, maybe they'll be calling you and saying, hey, can I have her contact information because I'd like to hire her? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, a lot of our members are, are still working remote, and we're still working remote. And, um, you know, we have a few people. I mean, obviously, I'm in the office, and I, I come into the office anyway, but um, Jordan is here <laughs> filming the or, or – uh, you know, recording this for us, but you know, people come in when they need to. But you know, most of the most of the world, you know, in in a lot of corporate jobs are still working remote. So, and I think, I, and I'm speaking from my own personal standpoint, but I've learned a lot about how much can still get accomplished when people are working remote. And I think a lot of companies are are proving that they are now more accepting of that. Uh, work style. And I think there's going to be a lot of better opportunities for caregivers um, and folks that really have to be home um, to to get some work accomplished. So maybe when we get Agreed. people to watch the documentary, uh, <laughs> they'll, they'll, like I said, they'll contact you and say, hey, <laughs> I want to I want to interview her. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, one thing that that I think everyone is is at least somewhat aware of is that service members are, you know, on for the most part, um, are very private and they don't really talk about their wartime experiences and, you know, they don't even cover that with their family members, their their closest friends, you know, and and then to have them actually talk to you, which who is you know basically a total stranger, and then knowing that they had to open up and share all of their stories for a film. Was that was that a challenge? <laughs> well, of course it trust, was. Um, yeah, um, there was one family. We spent a lot of time with them. They were going to be a main story thread, and she called me up at one point after we'd spent days with a camera crew with her, and she said, "You know what? We we just can't do this. Oh, it's just we're <laughs> uncomfortable." And you know, there was a discussion. Well, they'd already signed the releases, and technically, I could have put them in the film. But I'm not going to do that. You're not that person, Stephanie. I can tell you that. No, <laughs> and I I mean, most of us aren't, let's face it. Um, and to do a film like this, of course you're not. Um, and, you know, I still, you know, when I see Nikki, we're friends on Facebook, you know, stuff like that. But um, once again, not only did they want people to know of what who military caregivers are, because let me tell you, at this point, they're not on base. They're right. not on a military installation. They're not within that close military community. That, and I know a lot of the people within that community were supportive, but they ended up with another kind of community, which was caregivers are severely wounded. Mm-hmm. And they stay in touch, and they have stayed in touch. But it wasn't easy because... I was not military. If I came in as military, there would probably be more of a sense of, you know, they would be more trusting. One of the reasons I did go, one of the many reasons I did work with direct with sources rather than going directly were most, almost all of these people were military themselves or they were veterans. They could speak that language. They understood that. But at the same time, they understood what I was trying to achieve. And they were champions of that because they could see how important it was. Well, I, I you know, I, I agree with you on that. I, I also, though, think about um, when when you started the whole documentary and it talks it, – or each, each scene kind of talked about um, what the caregiver went through when they found out about the um, their loved one's injuries. And, I, you know, I, I think about having to relive some of those horrible moments. How did you take those real personal, detailed accounts of, of what they had gone through and, and put them into what was perfectly edited clips, you know, um, you know to, to maintain that... that um, story um i I guess now i'm i'm talking more about not just your journalistic background but your um maybe your directing background your writing background um because you obviously have some talents there stephanie how did you how did you you. do that 
I have to give a huge shout out to my editor, Alejandro Valdez Roshan. He's also my co-editor. The reason is this. We wrote the film in the edit bay. We, he, Alejandro narrowed it down because I had multitudes. I had so many interviews. <laughs> he narrowed it down to the stories he felt were most complete. Also, he is the one who said, we need to make this 56 minutes. We need to make it an hour. And I said, well, why? He said, because it will be concise and it will be compact. I said, are we going to miss anything? He said, no, we won't. <laughs> and he was great because he was coming in from a second set of eyes. And he was saying, okay, this person is a great story, but she wasn't really the caregiver. This person is a great story, but she wasn't really the caregiver. Um, and he worked hard to make it very well-rounded. So what would happen is we would go through and talk about the stories. Alejandro would edit for a few days, and then I would come in. And we needed to, which you have to do a lot in documentary and in news, is you need to see how the different sound bites, what people say, play off one another. So, for example, if you said to me, um, I don't know, something like, wow, that you must have a car that you really like. And then, say, one of my neighbors said, you know, that car looks like it doesn't go very fast. <laughs> so we have these people talking to one another almost responding to one another because there's no narration to fill in. That was really important to me. We're going to let these people speak for themselves because it's their stories. And Alejandro is an artist. He's a craftsman. Um, we worked really hard together. We worked together something like six, eight months and really found that story and at the same time, the craft. Because when you hear some of the things that people say in the film that make you kind of step back handy and go, wow, <laughs> we didn't do the rat-a-tat-tat-tat that you might see on another subject. Mm -hmm. What I constantly <clears throat> said to Alejandro, and he did this, we needed to give space. We need to give breathing room. If someone says something rather shocking, really intimate, we needed to give space before we went to hear the next person or we next, next piece of film. We needed to offer that up. And that is part of storytelling. You adjust to what your subject is. Oh, Do you know I, what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you, you did a masterful job at that, Stephanie. Both of you did. So um, it's good to know about him. I... I, I I think I remember seeing his name, but I didn't didn't realize the the, the huge impact he had on the develop, development of the of the film. So you spent about five years um, with all of these individuals. Um, how would you describe the various roles that the caregivers play each day? And and how did you um, or what what was the most surprising thing that you learned? Um. I think what, it's sort of what I said before, any one of us, they did the best they could, they researched, they understood, they knew what they had to do for the various kinds of ones, and to me, that was commitment, um, to go above and beyond and not just slap on a bandage, which they never could, but we look at different kinds of wounds, right? We look at, in the film, we look at people with severe burns. That's another set of caregiving. Mm -hmm. um, we look mm -hmm. at people with multiple amputations and burns, some of them. Um, and there are different kinds of caregiving there. We meet a family that has invisible wounds. He has really severe traumatic brain injury. Right. And, you know, this huge personality change. So what I saw was commitment. Gina, who is the wife in that story, says, look, it's not that I'm going to break my marriage vows. Why would I? He didn't do something on purpose to hurt me. Right, right. 
Exactly. He is my husband. I love him. Um, you know, I'm his caregiver. Well, that was when we did the interview and now, and I am in touch with just about everybody. I was going to ask. They have a good time. (laughs) They laugh together at the end of the film. You can see they, they have a great relationship and they know how to have fun. Well, we, we comment around here a lot that it takes a village sometimes to, you know, get things done or whatever. And I'm sure having that, uh, sounding board or or just somebody to to talk to and maybe ask for advice or or you know someone who is sharing some of their um difficulties or frustrations or or anything um is probably very helpful for them um you know it is helpful but i got a sense of this i got a sense and they told me in some in these words they felt alone oh i'm sure i'm many 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 times even, okay, for example, if they have family, frequently the family doesn't really participate. I'm talking about not their immediate Extended family, the immediate family, family yeah. with the kids. That's huge. That's another story. The, and I talk about this being caregiver families because these children are caregivers. Oh, I, yeah. I know um, that one of the one young man, or child actually, walking down the hall with his mm-hmm. dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's youth four, four years old. Wow, wow. You know, yeah, teeny tiny. Yeah, well, and what you said, you know, you you step up to what you have to face, you know, and and boy, that four year old, he did. (laughs) That was pretty cool. Um, How did their stories impact your life, Stephanie? Or how did how did they change the way you see people? Wow. You know. I think I look at people now and I go, that person's a caregiver and they don't even realize it. Um, I looked at myself. I was talking about myself kind of when the camera was off or setting up with a family and, you know, the woman, the wife looked at me and she goes, you know, you're telling me these things about your son and it's really cool, but do you realize you're a caregiver? Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, she's right. Um, What I, how I see differently, um, how it's changed my life. Um, okay, here's, here's a big thing. When someone works in news, I'm talking TV and radio news, mm-hmm. we sort of keep things at arm length. We, we automatically will put our distance between ourselves and the person we're interviewing because you don't want to get too attached. You're not going to be objective, correct? <laughs> And a documentary it's, it's, like it's this, I, wish, it's, I what, it's what I wish the journalists would do right now during the election. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. I'm sorry. I just say it's like I'm tired. People who <laughs> the people I concerned my okay. So, but you do need to be you know ethically. You do need to be at arm's length. Right. It's really important. And I found that I had to kind of work at that. Um, my personality, my own ethics, the kind of person I am, didn't have that much trouble breaking that down. But from a professional point of view, I saw myself becoming personally involved with them, becoming more their friend. They will still get in touch with me. Now that's a little, you know, if I were a journalist and I did a story with someone and then they were contacting me and they were, and that's happened, I would be like a little freaked. (laughs) <laughs> right. But, and this instance, I'm not. I've interviewed them multiple times. Well, um, Stephanie, you're, it, I you mean, know, it, in the time you and I have gotten to know each other, you are a very open and welcoming person. And I'm sure that you were probably kind of a, a nice outlet for them, you know, and it's somebody that they obviously had to build up some trust in you or they would never have told their stories. So, I mean, I, I, I certainly understand about how you'd be a little freaked if, if somebody wanted to have a relationship and you're like, okay, I was just doing a story for my job. Yeah, really. You know. um, but, you know, what, this is really important for me to say, um, and you might have been asking about this, but um, every single person I interviewed, remember, not everyone made it into the film. A lot of it was because of time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more than a minute 20, but it's still 56 minutes. Um, 
Every single one said that the interview was cathartic. Oh, I'm sure. They I'm said sure. because and the reason and these because no one had asked them these questions. Mm-hmm. And there were, I mean, multiple times um, they would break down crying. I would break down crying. And I could hear, you know, the burly cameraman, one of them being my husband at different <laughs> locations, like going, you know, and the crew going, you know. Yeah. And at some point um, when we did turn off the camera, because you it's really kind of an unspoken rule. You try to keep that camera going because that's when you get the real stuff. Exactly. So we would eventually turn it off and they would just, you know, collapse. And I would say, look, look, I feel bad. I didn't come here because I wanted to upset you and get that on camera. That is not my intention at all. And they'd say, no, 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 no. I'm really glad you're mm-hmm. asking me these questions. No one has asked me before. Well, you know what, and and I think that's incredibly important because it made it so authentic, you know, and and you can tell the difference between, you know, a a story that's being told just without any real um, solid input from characters that are actually involved. It's not just a story about, you know, caregivers. It's a story involving actual caregivers and and it's different and i think um you know they they had made an interesting comment that you know the military trains you informs you they prepare you in case you know your loved one is killed but they don't tell you about you know what to do or how to take care of some service member who becomes you know has a traumatic injury um you know and it sounds like you wanted to actually show that um let me ask though, um, was there a noticeable difference for you in the level of caregiving that one caregiver had to, to, you know, take on as opposed to others? Did you notice that when you were interviewing these? these um, I'm not getting your question. I'm sorry. Can you say it again? Yeah. I mean, could you um, actually? Can you elaborate on on the experiences they shared regarding the level of caregiving that was required? Because maybe one caregiver didn't have as much that she had to do mm. as someone else. <clears throat> you know, I don't think I don't think you can make those comparisons. Um, okay. Every single person in the film, and when people watch it, they will see every single person has a different story, and really, the film is a vehicle for their stories. You know, they have different family dynamics. They have a different relationship dynamic. The wounds are different. Um, and, and you know, that, that in itself really speaks to what they needed to do to get by. How many children? What are the ages of those children? Do they have support from parents, um, in-laws? Um, you know, was there a friend who really stepped in? Level of caregiving, I don't know. Am I understanding your question correctly? Yeah, no, yeah, you are. You are. I just, I know that, you know, one caregiver said that, you know, caring for a husband was an all-day, around-the-clock job. You know, another mm-hmm. spoke to just it being a long road, um, but their spouse was independent. You know, and I think, I think mm-hmm. though, you showed very effectively different life situations, you know, because... I remember the one young man whose mother had to take care of him. And, you know, you, you think about when your children grow up, you don't expect them to be home, you know, and, and relying on you to, to take care of them, you expect them to go out and build their own life, you know. And, and so that was a different situation. It wasn't a spouse that was taking care of the, the service member. It was the mother. And, you know, you're a mother just like I am, Stephanie, and, you know, we we – deal with our children differently than we've ever probably dealt with our spouse, (laughs) Um, you know, and, and you have different motivations for your children as opposed to a spouse that would, um, you know, have to, to deal with that as well. So I just, I was just curious, um, you know, if you, if you. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if this is off topic, but it, I was thinking about this when I was talking before this, these wars, are different from any other wars we've ever fought because our medical advances are saving so many people. 
so many people oh, in yeah. the field. <clears throat> yeah. You know, people who would have bled out or died in the field would not, you know, in Vietnam even. And we're to the point now where if someone is injured on the battlefield, um, they get them to a field hospital, stabilize them, get them out of there to a hospital in Germany, the main military hospital, and stabilize them more so that they can get on the flight back to the United States. That could take a day. It could take a few days. It could take longer. Oh, yeah. But it always amazed me that within a few hours, they were in Germany. Mm-hmm. Just a few hours. Um, and so we're seeing a level, and we talk about this in the film, we're seeing a level of injuries coming home we've never seen before. And the caregivers are the ones who are picking up the pieces on that. You know, even if it's all the hospitalizations, even if it's, you know, the appointments, all the red tape for going through the VA, (laughs) all of that, and insurance, all of that. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to be long term. And nobody ever even thinks about that, that piece of it. You know, I mean, the caregiving is, is such a big part of, of the whole situation that they're facing and the, the paperwork, you know, and all of that, the insurance, the, the appointments, nobody even thinks about that. So that, that's, you know, something else um, that is, is pretty evident. So given that part of your discussion, Stephanie, um, what do you hope that people take away from your film? Well, okay, there are two goals, really. Um, One is for people to understand that this really underserved community exists. I mean, maybe I'm using the wrong word, but I feel really strongly that they're underserved. I I think that as we've spoken, (laughs) that people don't see them. I think Elizabeth Dole. I think Elizabeth Dole would agree with you. You know, she's she does yes, a lot and for she, caregivers. <laughs> she, her caregiver foundation um, has worked a lot. Um, they the people who the her caregiver fellows there are two from each state work very hard lobbying and with legislators and with speaking with people in their communities. Um, they're you know they're working on that. There are other organizations that are working directly with caregivers to offer support, to offer classes online, to offer support groups, and one-on-one as well. Um, Because a lot of these families live off the grid. They will live hours away from a metropolitan area, from a VA, because some of the service members just can't take being around a population. They can't. So I, I went off track here a little bit. Um, we need to know that these military caregiver families are here and we need to reach out to them. And the other thing is that we, I think I said this before, this is not a film about a negative. We're talking about the positive. Here are people who are committed. They're resilient. They're courageous. They don't want people to take pity on them. We want to show that they are an example that we can all live up to and we can be proud of. Oh, that's that's a definite, <laughs> um, uh, a definite, uh, accurately or accurately placed statement. Um, it's something that you can't help but watch that film and sit back and just shake your head and I mean you're just so proud of what they are able to accomplish but you know um, you you started into an area that I was going to just ask and and this is basically the last question about the film and I have some fun uh, things I'm going to ask you but how can people that that are listening to the podcast who watch the film what is it that they might be able to do to support the caregivers and their families um, you know, these caregivers never expected to, you know, have an equal partnership with their spouse or a parent and a child. Um, and now it's transitioned to caretaker and patient. And I don't think anyone ever expects to find themselves in that position. So 
What can what you can know? What do? we encourage, yeah. If it, what we encourage is to go within their community. Go, you know. Sometimes that could be your church or your synagogue or your mosque, and say, "Look, can we um, identify some families?" that we could, who we could maybe adopt, who we could help. I think if you're doing anything one-on-one, you don't ask someone, in in any respect, you don't ask someone, oh, just let me know. No, you say, look, can I bring dinner once a week? Can we mow your lawn every two weeks? And if you make, if that is received, if the if the person who needs you accepts your help, you need to stick with it. You need to be committed. You can't mow their lawn twice and say, oh, I forgot. You need to do that. If you're going to bring meals, you know, you have a circle and, and you do that. Um, there is that commitment. But also, when people see the film, I often say it starts a discussion. And that's why, you know, you and I are having this discussion now. Um, That's why we have community screenings because there are so many questions and it, it starts, the film starts it and it doesn't live well in a vacuum. Is that a way of, does that make sense to you? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, you know, and I love your, your suggestions. I mean, I think those are wonderful suggestions. I'm going to go back to my, my previous suggestion about um, employers <laughs> and, and literally um, think about finding the caregivers in your general area or, or even anywhere really if you have remote work and just see if, if you could help these caregivers have an outlet. And some of them, I think companies would be amazed at how much these people would accomplish <laughs> and they'd probably be phenomenal employees. So I'm gonna add that to the, to the thing that people can do. <laughs> So, Very good. I agree with you. Well, good, good. Um, so, Stephanie, you know, you and I hit it off when we first talked several months ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I expect to be longtime friends. So um, I want to help other people get to know the, the real Stephanie Howard. So I'm going to end our conversation <laughs> with some rapid. My fire. husband were on. He'd be going, no, <laughs> Candy, stop there. <laughs> I, maybe I should ask him the questions. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to just have some fun rapid-fire questions, and I want you to feel free to say the first thing that comes to mind. So I'm going to start. I've got uh, five of them. So um, as a broadcast journalist, what has been the one story that you have covered that still sticks out in your mind today? Wow, the L.A. riots. Oh, I wow. mean, just the visual of that and to be here and, you know, you know, it's kind of sad, but when you, something is impacting yourself, impacting you personally, um, yeah, just broke my heart and had to pick up the pieces. And I, my job was to work with uh, reporters coming in from other countries and just, you know, people have a heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I... That that was that I, boy. I hadn't even thought about those, but yeah, I'm I'm sure. Um, so, who inspires you? That's easy. My two sons. Oh. They always have. They're now in their twenties. They always will. Well, that's a neat answer. I you know I I think I would probably have to say that about my own children, but I never actually put that thought to them. So that that was a great answer. Okay, e-reader or hard co- hardcover book. Which do you prefer? Hardcover. Yeah. Isn't Hardcover. that funny? I have both, but I, I still like to have a book in my hand. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I agree. I don't know why. Um, okay. So being from the Midwest, do you say pop or soda? Soda. Oh. I've been in California a long time. <laughs> if I said pop, people would look at me and go, what? <laughs> you know what? I, I, you know, I've traveled to 
California. My daughter even lived out there for a while, and and I would ask for a pop. And they, you're right, they do look at you funny because I say pop, and I I got teased way back when I was in high school when I was in Pennsylvania, and I said something about pop, and they're like, "What are you talking about? It's soda." I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, it's always been pop to me." But there you go. So this is kind of a, a an odd question, probably right now with the pandemic. But what is your favorite <laughs> travel destination? If you could go. <laughs> if I could go. Israel. I've been a number of times. Okay. Uh, very connected. That's international. Right. No, that's... that's domestically. Cool. Yeah. Domestically. Well, I could get there. Um, Wyoming, the Grand Tetons are God's country. and Well, I guess Israel is too. Um, but really, <laughs> what I usually do is I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, because that's where I'm from and that's where my family is. Wow. You know what? Now, that's funny because I have always wanted to go to Wyoming. I've been to like 43 or five, 45 states, and you just named two that I've never been to, Nebraska and Wyoming. <laughs> and I have always wanted to go to Wyoming. And I actually had somebody ask me to speak in Kansas one time. And I said, oh, yeah, I would love to. I would love to. And the lady said, you do realize I said Kansas, right? I said, yeah, I've never been there. <laughs> so, I mean, I would love to go to Wyoming and I'd love to go to Nebraska. And I actually have um, some very good friends who are in Israel a lot. Um, and I've heard that that's just a spectacular trip. Um, and someone, a friend of mine on Facebook just had like a 10 day trip there um, during this pandemic. So I was very surprised about that. So, really? Yeah. Everything's yeah. closed down there now. Well, it was it so. was several months ago, but yeah, it was probably before it okay. was closed. But anyway, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. We are incredibly humbled by your documentary and, and hope that we can bring more awareness to the struggles that military caregivers face. You've taken their stories. You know, Candy, it's fun. It's always fun talking to you. <laughs> well, thanks. I, the I, questions I... were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to uh, uh, give credit to Jamie Costello, who is our, our marketing phenom. Um, she leads our marketing team, and she just is incredible with, with pulling together some outstanding uh questions to help pull the, the right information from our guests. So um, I, I think our listeners have learned a lot about you and I, I really can't wait until they they can watch the, the weight of honor and just learn more about what military ca caregivers go through. So um, for people that want to know, um, they can watch the, the film eventually in DE Academy. They can rent it from Amazon or download it on iTunes. Um, I cannot tell you how strongly I recommend that you do that. You can also go to Stephanie's website and it's www.theweightofhonormovie.com and there you can learn more about the film and the caregivers and, and get all sorts of information. So I highly encourage you to do that. And Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been terrific. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm really, really glad that Direct Employers went uh, everyone to learn more about military caregivers. That's terrific. Well, I think so too. So <laughs> thanks again, Stephanie. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the DE Talk podcast. Stay connected with direct employers on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications of new episodes each month.